You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Seeking Excellence Podcast. I am joined here today, only uh, 67 minutes late, with my man, <laughs> Christopher Quinn. Jeez, coming in hot. All What's right. What's going on? No, we're, hey, we're right on time. You know, we might we're be right late. On time. We're on God's time right now. Maybe we're That's on Black Folk time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I wasn't going to say Black people time it, or God's time. Depends on how you want to Kingdom time out. plus Black people time equals 60 minutes late instead of 30 minutes late. Amen to that. Amen to that. So so first I want to open up with we were discussing this beforehand of Joe Rogan. So somehow <laughs> just on a podcast we were talking about Joe Rogan and who would who do you think Chris would be the best uh confirmation sponsor for Joe Rogan should he convert to Catholicism? Bro, I've got this unlocked. I will not be receiving requests for any other uh people to be his RCIA sponsor. Without a shadow of a doubt, hands down, it should be Shia LaBeouf. Wow. Powerful. Perfect, right? Recent convert. He's going to show him the ropes. Um, He's going to bring him to some reverent masses, and then boom. You know what I'm saying? That's very serious. That's very serious. I like that. I like that. I think that's a good call. I could also see, uh, you know, Marky Mark. I think Mark Wahlberg could be a a strong You know what? It's actually not bad. So you've got the recent convert with hand tattoos. And Marky Mark, who's been doing this from the jump. This is a baby baptized. That's right. Credo Catholic. I think it'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Two great options. So somebody pass that along to Joe Rogan for when he, you know, gets to that stage in the journey. That'll be great. But yeah, man, first I would love to start, you know, with just kind of giving an overview of of who you are, introducing yourself to the people. To the people. All to right. The people. <laughs> uh, my name is Christopher Quinn. Um, I am based here in Cincinnati. Nathan is from, well, I don't know if you're from here, but you lived here. I did. Are yeah, you I'm from, from here? I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania originally. And I lived in, oh, okay. uh, yeah, I lived in Walnut Hills for a year in Cincinnati. Oh, come on. Walnut Hills. Um, man, what do I say? Uh, I'm nothing like my Instagram. I think people, <laughs> <laughs> people expect to see some kind of like Edgar Allan Poe, like all black wearing, really like emo. That's just not me. Um, I'm 28 years old. Uh, I, I recently started a ministry and I'm greenhouse Cincinnati. It's a young adult ministry. Um, I fancy coffee. I was a barista for five years, so I can make you just about anything you want. Um, 
yeah, I'm just out here and people are calling me an influencer, but I don't know what to do with that. And I don't even know what that means. So very interesting. And you, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is correct or not. If I just started following you, I think in the last, like, I think I started following you like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. I don't remember, but, um, I remember it seems like this last like year, like 2022 was a big increase <laughs> in your social reach. Is that correct? Yeah, no, dude. Well, first of all, the way that you and I got connected, my roommate, my older mate was Gabriel Gessler. That's right. Uh, and if you know Gabe, he he schmoozes. He knows how to run the room. And he's like, he's just like a man's man. And so, I mean, like night after night, he'd be like, bro, you got to get connected with my man, Nathan Crankfield. You got to get connected. And he just, I mean, it's, it's days, if not weeks of him hyping you up. And I'm like, all right, like this guy is huge. And, you know, I don't know, black Catholic, there's like 35 of us. So, you know, we got to stay connected. Um, and so, yeah, I think I just like followed you and was like, oh, he's in Cincy. I'm probably moving there. But yeah, no, 2022 was right. definitely interesting. Um, I, I've told this story a few times now because people have been interested to find out like what actually happened. Like what's the backstory here? Um, yeah. I remember sitting down at that same house, right? Um, that I was living in. Um, Gabe was my roommate. And I remember sitting down. It was a summer day with my laptop at the kitchen table. And I was like, I've just got some thoughts about discipleship, about the church, about what it is to be Catholic. And I'm, I'm going to throw these thoughts in white text on a black grainy background and just put it out there, whatever. Like I did not have any intentions, but to just throw it out there. And it just kind of like blessed a few different people. I saw they had some reshares. I was like, all right, whatever. Cool. That's, that's neat. So I just kind of kept doing that. And all of a sudden there was this one of my posts. It was like my fourth or fifth post. It blew up. I had never seen anything like that from any content I'd created before. And I was like, whoa, like this is really serious. And so I just kept going and boom. Now I'm, I went from 1K to 12K in 12 months. Um, yeah. Which is crazy. Um, I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess solid colors with profound, provocative statements on them are really in the market it right works. now. So it works. Yeah, it's super interesting. See, I, I, one thing I've been really bad at is I never make the time um, to sit down and, and create posts. Like so often, you know this from following me. Like I do some, I do the same thing, but just in stories, right? Like so, I right. just post all my thoughts and rant and put my hot takes on. Oh, stories. you sure do. You um, sure do. Yeah, and people will message <laughs> me every time, be like, "You should make this a spicy post," and I'm like, "I should, shouldn't I?" And then I don't. <laughs> and so that's yeah, that's my life. But yeah, it's awesome, man. I think it's really cool. And um, yeah, would love to kind of go back and hear more about like, were you? baptized as an infant like were you raised in a uh, catholic family like what's what's yeah. that kind of story like for you i suppose we could talk about that i usually forget about that stuff yeah so yeah, i was no i'm here for born, <laughs> born and raised in the most famous fargo north dakota um super random i've been deciding whether i say that or if i say i'm from columbus it's not technically a lie i moved here from columbus uh, to cincinnati but it only produces seven seconds of awkward silence in any conversation i'm in so I'm just kind of debating what to do with that. But born and raised Catholic. Yeah, no, for real. Born and raised Catholic, uh, went to uh, Catholic middle school and Catholic high school. Shout out Shanley Deacons, uh, Deacons for Life. Um, and yeah, I mean, my family, um, I think Catholicism was one of the top like four or five priorities, but it, but it wasn't like, um, the highest priority, but what they did do for me was, um, dude, like my mom put me in every circumstance to be well catechized. 
that faithful woman. Um, she, yeah, I went to a really good Catholic middle That's school, awesome. Catholic high school, uh, very involved with our, uh, our home parish. And, um, yeah, she just made sure that I had all the great formation that I needed to be the man that I am today. So, um, from a very young age, a lot of really solid catechesis and now like actually leaving, uh, my home state and experiencing the parts of the Catholic church in different places in the country, I'm seeing now how grateful I ought to be for my catechesis and for my Catholic education. Um, it's really unfortunate. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Really unfortunate that I see, um, well, I hear uh, a lot of people just have poor experiences of catechesis and their formation as a Catholic growing up, but then really specifically, um, a lot of people unhappy with their Catholic high school experience. Um, yeah. And that's, that's really sad because I'm looking back now um, after seeing people that went to Catholic high schools, right, that have saint names or are named after Mary, but they're not actually Catholic. And me coming from a Catholic high school that had adoration and confession every single morning for like an hour. Um, wow. Matt, like everyone went to mass once a week um, and just like really solid religion teachers, just a great formation. So I'm just super grateful. Um, and that's just really um, formed me and who I am now. I uh, went to University of Mary, go Marauders. Um, amazing experience there. Before it was cool. Like it was not cool to be at U Mary before. Okay. <laughs> they were not sponsoring Focus. They were not like this huge deal. Monsignor Shea wasn't even Monsignor Shea. He was just Father Shea. Um, and it was like... That's funny. It was it was, it was was something. It was something. Uh, I loved it a lot. Had a great experience there. Uh, studied for a year at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit with the Diocese of Fargo. That was great. Um, that was cool. I've been calling... <laughs> I've been calling Detroit the Black Vatican uh, because... Like Detroit, if not Atlanta, Detroit is like a huge epicenter of black culture, music, history, everything like that. So that was just super rich for me as a Catholic. Um, that happens to be a black man um, because I had not been in an environment like that. Um, as you can imagine, being from North Dakota, there's not like yeah. a huge culture like that. So that was huge for me. Um, discerned out of seminary, moved to Columbus, Ohio, and worked with Damascus Catholic Mission Campus for four years, five years, I forget. And then this May moved here to Cincinnati and now I'm doing what I believe God is calling me to do. So that awesome. is the whole thing. Going back to your family, are you uh, biracial or are both your parents black or no. what's your uh, background? <laughs> so my dad is <laughs> Chicago black um, and my mom is this hodgepodge of like German and Irish and all these different European things. So, but at the end of the day, I'm half black and half white. One of my earliest memories, dog, this is the best. I was, ah, I had to be like six or seven. And this was back in the day um, in the 90s, uh, which is a very special time. And we were watching a show called ER. I don't know if you remember ER, but ER was amazing. Um, it was, yeah, it was, I, I never was really into it, but I don't think I've ever seen it, but I'm obviously bro, familiar. Yeah. Way better than Grey's Anatomy. This is like back in the day stuff. Okay. So we're watching ER and there's this biracial family on there. And they're like, it was such a pivotal moment. I, I, I was watching it and I like quadruple take. It was like TV, mom, TV, mom, TV, mom. And I looked at her and I was like, mom, why am I a different color than you? And she was like, ah, okay, cool. So, um, <laughs> so she and were like, your parents married? Uh, no, no. So they were together before I was born. And then, um, my, my father got involved in my life later on when I was growing up. Um, gotcha. Okay. 
but so I like talked to her about this. I was like, why? Yeah. And she was like, okay, because you are half black and half white. And this is, this is the logic of a six, six year old, seven year old. They go, mom, don't, <laughs> don't be silly. That would make me gray. And she goes, ah, frick. Okay. We got an artist on our hands. So black is what <laughs> we, uh, just like society refers to Call as brown people. brown people. And I was yeah. like, why didn't they just say brown? Anyways, it was this whole like <laughs> moment. I was like, oh, okay. It's I'm part debate. brown, half white. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I, you know, three years ago, uh, I was writing a decent bit about, um, racial relations, you know, in the wake of the, the George Floyd death mm-hmm. and, uh, Dude, I, I wrote about this story that I had forgotten about until then, really. But my mom or dad had told me I was like three or four years old when I realized. And so mine was like not sparked by a show, but I was just like sitting at the dinner table one day. And they said for some reason, instead, of, I wasn't just like looking at my hands. Like I had like lifted up my shirt and was looking at my stomach. And I was like looking at my <laughs> belly and I'm looking at my dad and looking at my mom. I'm, and just like five to ten minutes of me just like. Being like, what the hell is this? You That's know, amazing, it dude. just like randomly hit me one day after dinner, and I asked them. Finally, I was just like, guys, so like, <laughs> why are me and dad brown and mom's white? You right, know? right. And that was when I realized, yeah, that there was differences. It's really funny. It's but I kind of talked about that. It was interesting then, like, you know, talking about how, like, at that point, like, I felt like I was truly colorblind up until that point because I didn't, for somehow in the house, like, I never even put it together. But then after that, it's like you you know you can't you can't necessarily go back to being kind of full blown colorblind right. the way that you are as a kid, right? Like once right. you kind of realize that there's differences, yeah, for, it doesn't mean that anything negative is attached to it, but you right. start to realize that there's differences, right? And yeah. you see that you're different from other people and in specific ways. So yeah, maybe we can talk about that first since we're kind of on the topic of yeah <laughs> of discovering that we were black. But um, <laughs> you you recently did or last year you did a series on. Being black and Catholic. Yes. And so this is something that I'm really interested in. And I know that there's plenty of people out there in the world that, um, you know, I don't know if you follow like the Black Catholic Messenger and um, Nate Tenner, if you know who he is. And I can't remember. He might have gone to my college, but I can't remember. I don't remember being there with him, but um, I know he's kind of like an East Coast guy. And I haven't gotten to talk with him personally yet. We've messaged a little bit. We've engaged in like group chats or comments and stuff. Um, but I've been interested to have him on the podcast to talk about this because I know that he and I see things very differently, but I'm curious from your perspective, like, what does it mean to you when, when, like, what do you think of when you think of being black and Catholic? Like, what is that, what does that entail to you? Like, what do you think that it requires, um, any type of like special, I don't know if special treatments the right way or, you know, different forms of evangelization or things like that. Like, what do you think, or special ministries? That's one that I'm really interested yeah. in, of like Hispanic and black ministries mm-hmm. at the DAS and the parish level. I don't know that I even asked the question, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> to, I guess, unpack this, to unfold this, I really want to, um, I guess, go back to the summer of 2020, right? Um, so up until yeah. that point, I had thought about it a few different times, like, okay, like, I think I would love to start conversations about this over social media or like whatever. Um, just because like, let's be honest. Um, that was the epicenter of a lot of conversations regarding what was going on that summer, um, was social media. Um, and everyone uh, became a societal scientist and, um, freaking sociologist on social media at that point, yeah. their opinion, you know, throwing it out there. Um, so I felt so convicted that particular summer. I was like, uh, 
we know as Catholics that we are called to have a world perspective that is like whole and complete and rooted in the truth of the gospel and rooted in the truth of the church, teachings of the church. Um, and I was just seeing, I felt as though a lot of uh, the people that I knew or didn't even know on social media that were Catholic um, were really giving into worldviews that weren't congruent with what we believe as Catholics. Um, even if it wasn't contradictory to the truth, it was definitely tainted by a lot of anger and a lot of, uh, Paul talks about in Romans how there's the spirit in the flesh. And it just felt like a lot of their opinions and how they were thinking and how they were speaking was rooted in the flesh and not the spirit of God. And so I was just like, I feel like a resp- like I feel like I have a responsibility as a black Catholic man. Um, those three specific things to actually speak um, <laughs> on behalf of me as a black yeah. person in America, actually four things, black Catholic man in America. Okay. Very specific things. Um, because it felt as though for, uh, on not just three months, but like six, nine, 12 months, people were speaking on my behalf that had no right to speak on my behalf. Um, and you know, assuming like, Oh, he's, he's oppressed. He's this, he's that he's all these things. And I'm like, that's funny. So are you me? Cause if you're not, you should stop talking now, um, in charity, in charity, but also like to just kind of have a, a, to call people on, uh, to thinking and speaking higher. So, um, me and another friend of mine, Avera decided to create some content. It was way after the fact. Um, so, which I think is really good. So this is one issue, I guess, with our generation, millennials or Gen Z or things like that, where it's like, okay, I had this thought 45 seconds ago. Let me publicize it. Let me, um, create some content <laughs> around it and throw it out there. Cause it's, I mean, this is going to change the world. Um, <laughs> that's right. So although it wasn't intentional, but black and Catholic came out last year, which was well after the fact of 2020. Um, and it provided me and, uh, Avera, uh, some time to actually, um, think about what we were, what we were going to say, which is revolutionary for, for our generation. Um, to think about what we're going to say and to actually say it with wisdom, with the truth of the church, um, and not in the flesh, but in the spirit of God. Um, so I'm just really passionate about it just because I think, so right now it's, it would be really easy for people like you or for me, right. Black Catholic men to be like, um, okay, cool. Like all that stuff is somewhat to a degree died down. Um, and it's kind of like not, it's not the main headlines right now. Uh, racial tensions are not the main Mm -hmm. headlines right now. So, okay, let's not, let's like, move on to something else. But the reality is, is it probably will happen again. Um, soon later, whatever, at some point. Um, and I think it's important that we continue those conversations, not because me, Nathan, Avera, whoever it is, a black Catholic American person is like, Oh, like I am, I am the voice of my generation. I am a social justice warrior or whatever, but because um, we need actually the Catholic worldview uh, spoken from black voices out there, because at some point, again, a people group or a news team or whoever is going to try to speak for us. And that's just not good. (laughs) I'm not here for that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's really interesting too, when you talk about how it's died down now and it will happen again. What's what's interesting there is like what's the it there? To me, that's you know the idea that it, it, I mean it often gets sparked right by an unarmed black man being killed by a white police officer. And what's interesting and what something I pointed out 
over and over again throughout that time period is that that happens all the time. Not all the time in the way that like it's like I'm not trying to over exaggerate. I'm not trying to exaggerate how often it happens. It happens yearly. Let's put it that way. But if you think over the last decade, there's specific years where it's been highlighted and become the main headline, the front page news. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's times where it doesn't, which I just think that in and of itself should make people stop and pause the next time it does. Cause it's like, okay, since, since the last one, right. I mean, now really it's been, I mean, like a year and a half, I I would say maybe there was a couple last year, but not anything near what we saw in 2020 where you had several, right. You have like Brianna Taylor, you have like several in a specific period of time. And then it's like, you go a year and it's just silent, right? We don't hear from Black Lives Matter for a couple of yeah. years, and then suddenly every four years, isn't that funny? Headlines and yeah, it's it's really interesting. But that's something that I think is is worth pointing out, and that's worth pointing out, like you said, both in the midst of when it happens and when it's in the quiet times, right? right? To point out, and be like, hey, isn't it weird that like nothing's happened for the last nine months, but there actually have right. been unarmed white, black, and Hispanic people killed by police officers of all different colors over the last That's strange. That's suspicious. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really, really interesting. So that's, I mean, I guess that's kind of it, man. Like, um, it's not just, it's not just, it's not about those issues. It's, it's, um, I also know, like I, uh, next month is February, right? Black, uh, Black History Month again. And something that, um, I'm going to be highlighting is like, like I'm wildly, wildly honored um, to be a black Catholic man that has a significant following on Instagram now. Um, like, I don't know when, 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 I don't know. I just like, that's rare, I think. Um, and I just feel yeah. like I feel the responsibility to um, highlight the universality of the church, not in like a, I mean that in the richness of the deposit of faith, that actual word, right? The four marks of the church, one holy Catholic apostolic, mm-hmm. Um, the universality of the church, the oneness that, um, and this, this was a quote last year during my, um, during black and Catholic that, um, my blackness does not contradict my Catholicness. Um, it only like blesses it. And my Catholicness doesn't suppress my blackness. It actually purifies it in the same way that the gospel Catholicism actually enhances every single culture, every single people group, every nation, tribe, and tongue that it goes into, um, that it is woven together with. Um, so it's not really issue centered where it's like, Oh, let's talk about racial tensions. It's like, let's talk about how awesome it is that, um, I get to live out the fullness of my Catholic faith in my blackness. And it actually doesn't contradict it at all. It's actually super cool. And I hope that that blesses other black Catholics, um, men and women that are like that hear all the stupid lies of like Catholicism is uh, a white man's religion. Christianity is a white man's religion. Um, that's just stupid. That directly contradicts uh, the universality of the Catholic church where wherever you go in the world, the Catholic church is the Catholic church. Um, Archbishop Chaput put it beautifully. He said the gospel, right? Which the Catholic church holds the fullness of is like a prism or is, is like a, a beam of light. And if you remember seventh grade science class, um, you remember what happens when you mm-hmm. shine a prism or a beam of light into a clear prism, right? Uh, the different colors and uh, like shine an array across the room, right? Uh, each culture, every people group is mm-hmm. like one of those clear prisms um, that every time you shine the gospel into it, 
It should have the different beautiful intricacies and nuances within that culture highlighted and shown for the earth, right? Christ said, you are the light of the world. And yeah. so there's just things that you're going to get when the gospel, when the, the, the Catholic faith is shown through black culture, you're going to get things there that you won't get with Hawaiian culture, Pacific Islander culture, with European culture, with Swiss culture, with uh, Australian culture, like whatever it is. Um, and that needs to be celebrated in, in a rich, authentic way without agenda or without all these, all this crap that's floating around nowadays. So I love it. Now within that, I think a lot of people can take that in many different ways. Right. And so you see this, I think when you, uh, see different cultures and, and some go in different directions that you might agree with that you might disagree with, for example, like, um, you know, Mexican culture and Dia de los Muertos, right? Like it's known for at times getting some into weird some, sketchy. Some sketchy shit when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to you know speaking with the dead right. and things like that, right? But there are some. Obviously, we have All Souls Day. We we you know pray for the right. souls in purgatory and we um, understand eternal life in a profound way. But at the same time, there can be some stuff in, and I'm not trying to highlight just Mexican culture. We can turn to African culture and bringing drums and dancing into mass, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm not necessarily stating right now. I have my opinions on what I think is appropriate, and inappropriate. But what are your thoughts on that? Where do you think, how do you, can you give me some practical examples of how you see culture playing into Catholicism, you know, and flowing out of it, but also, uh, maybe like where you would draw the line, maybe on like reverence of mass or like where you would kind of draw the line on where culture maybe takes a, a back seat to um, either liturgy or just, you know, mm -hmm. Catholicism well, in a sense, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. When we're talking about this in this specific conversation, it's so important to remember that our Catholicism, right? The teachings of the church, the deposit of faith, the non-negotiables inform culture. Culture does not inform that. Okay. That is not, the right direction. Um, so it's, it, this conversation yes. is specifically talking about, uh, the expressions of that Catholicism, right? Um, so there may be like pinpointing what you were talking with, um, speaking to the dead or, or these things. And I, I, I'm not versed in Catholic Mexican culture. Um, I, maybe I should be, but, um, with, sure. within that example, um, it's important to remember that, the gospel that Catholicism is present in our cultures to purify them and to edify them. Right. It's not like, okay, let me, it's not like a chemistry lab of like, okay, let, let's mix Catholicism and this culture and see what concoction comes out of it. It's okay. This is a prism of light. And without that prism of light, that culture, any given culture is in darkness, um, which is like really not good. Uh, so let's see. Yeah, I think that's the main point I want to make is that Catholicism informs informs the culture. Um, and Bishop Robert Barron talks about where you even get the word culture, right? From the root word cult. What is at the center of? What is at the center of worship? Um, so when we actually exchange uh, false idols or whatever it is, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like golden idols, you know what I'm saying? But like money, power, yeah. influence, whatever is at the center of specific culture, exchange those for Christ himself. Um, you're, it's not an immediate, like everything's better. Like this is amazing. Um, it's a process of right. dethroning idols and false gods to actually put Christ there 
And over time, over generations, over ages, is a process of purification of that culture. Um, but if if you manage to um, introduce this, this is the second thing that our Archbishop Chaput said. If you manage to introduce Catholicism to that culture rightly, without agenda, and with the purity of the gospel, at no point should it destroy that culture. At no point should it destroy that culture. Unfortunately, we have um, experiences in the past where Catholicism in its pureness, the gospel in its pureness, was not introduced to cultures without agenda or, or rightly. And so that's just like kind of a damper uh, because then people use that against us and they're like, ah, uh, you guys, da, 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 whatever. Right. Exactly. What about this? It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to make excuses yeah. for someone 500 years ago that came uh, to a culture with agenda and without purity of intention. Um, so I don't know what you want me to do there, right. but um, yeah, it's, 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 it, Time yes, travel. it's, to answer your question in a somewhat more concise way, you have to forgive me because I studied philosophy so I can talk forever. But uh, if, if, if a Christianity, if, if, uh, sorry, if a culture is this house that I live in, um, what we're doing essentially, what the hope is to open the door, the front door of the culture of the people group itself to welcome Christ in. It is not Christ. Christ is not a guest. He's not a guest. Like he, either you welcome him in and put limits on him and well you can just stay like over in this chair or you're welcome in this room or only in this room or he's going to be the lord of that house um he jesus christ will not settle for partial custody of of a people and these this this is (laughs) these are parts of the conversations a lot of people don't want to have but it's 2023 and jesus christ is still lord and he will settle for nothing less um but you welcome him in to be the lord and you let him rearrange it. He's not going to destroy things unless they're idols that are falsely being worshipped. Other than that, like your food, the language of the culture, the music, the expression, uh, the family dynamics, the priorities of that culture. Um, he can then do rightly uh, with those things what he wants to as Lord. And 10 out of 10 times, because he's the perfect, omniscient, omnipotent, benevolent God, he will actually only enhance that's the third thing that Archbishop Chaput says. Um, he will only enhance a culture. He will only glorify it. He will only edify it. Mm. It will only be better if you fully let him have custody. The issue we have regarding to what you were saying, when we have like, okay, like there's some fishy stuff going on in a culture that's involving Catholicism, that's only because Jesus Christ was not exalted as the sole Lord, the only Lord. Um, and there's weird mixture going on there. If there's compromise, there's going to be weird stuff. And that's the same thing with individual cases. If Nathan is like, well, Jesus, you can only be the Lord of some parts of my life, but not really my marriage or how I like conduct my family life. It's going to be weird. There's going to be some fishy stuff going there, going on there because he's not the (laughs) Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I mean, that last part there really hits on the essence of seeking excellence. And what I try to hit yeah. at with the seven uh, yeah. pillars, you know, is that if your life, yeah, if your life is that house, right, you have these seven different rooms, like you have to allow the right. Lord into all of them. You can't hold them off and say, no, yeah, you got Sunday, you know, you got a couple hours on Sunday and I'll say my prayers before bed. And then like what I do with my money, with my job, mm-hmm. with my family, with my mental health, with my physical health, it's just all up to me. But I think, you know, you basically just elaborated on a line that you said way back when I first, when you were first talking about your series which was you, you said that my Catholicism purifies my blackness. And that's something that I think it, it shows that you're talking about putting 
the faith over top of everything else, right? Including black culture, which is something that I think is one of the more fundamental disagreements that I have with a lot of the the liberal black Catholics that I've debated with and argued with over the years is that it seems that it's like, no, we want to put those things kind of on par. I'm, I'm always curious in, in these people who I've debated with, it's like, I, I'm, I'm super curious is where they kind of put their, you know, Catholic, black, man or woman, and American, like what right. the order is, right? And I think that really says a lot about you and really reveals kind of what your priorities are. And there's a lot of people, I think, who say that, um, they're, you know, they want to put Catholic first, but oftentimes they don't. And I think you see that in like certain black Catholic, like Facebook groups and stuff that I'm in there. There's some people who just go off the rails when um, talking about anything that has to do with black culture and things that, you know, injustices to black people, whether past or present. And they just completely are willing to like lose Catholic teaching for the sake of really ultimately, I think it's staying in that kind of democratic coalition, right? Like you have this kind of democratic coalition that's been built over the last, you know, 15 or so years. And um, it's easy to just kind of make that mm-hmm. your priority, right? Make that your number one group that you belong to. And I think it's really sad. As an American, I think it's really sad that that's lost second place for a lot of people. Um, or maybe even third, you know, if you say like, you know, faith family country or something like that. Um, but for many people, it's like, you know, uh, sexual identity groups, racial groups, um, the families dropped off, religions dropped off, and then even like the, how they see themselves as American is so much lower. And so to think think of you know people who see themselves as a member of the LGBT community, as a member of Black or Hispanic or Asian, and then it's like or, or female, you know, or woman or whatever it is, like all of those being above your faith, your family, and your country is just I mean it's super sad to think about how that's yeah. been kind of replaced and what that's yeah, done to our so, society. Like, back going back to like the we get the word culture from what is at the center, what is worship. The moment Christ is not the center, I give that, that I give that people group that people like, yeah, that culture, a basically um, a timeline, like they're in culture hospice, like they're on their way out. It, it, you will not last long. And yeah. that means different things. Long could be uh, years. It could be decades. It could be generations um, whatever it is, uh, centuries, but without Christ at the center, at the center and overarching Lord, um, it will fall apart. Disintegration, um, is, is what is on the board for that, for that people. So, yeah. And it's been really interesting to me. This is something that I've become more and more outspoken about is, um, just blaming Protestants for a lot of our problems. <laughs> and I think, you know, the uh, re- replacement of Rome, the replacement of the Vatican, the replacement of the Pope with individual pastors, with individual people, I think is such a huge problem with that, right? If you think about like letting a culture influence Christianity instead of Christianity influencing your culture, having like the c- Catholicism is so beautiful in that we have all these different mm-hmm. cultures that come together, right? When you see the college of Cardinals come together, you see all the different races, all the different people. But when you have just your culture is, you know, in the outskirts of Birmingham, Alabama, you know, you're all white, small church, or you're all black, small church mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, New York, or you're all Hispanic church in mm-hmm. Texas or whatever, like it, it, and without the broader, even if you have you have obviously black Catholic churches, largely Hispanic churches, largely white churches, and Catholicism, but you at least have the broader understanding that like our Pope is South American, right? Like we have 
Cardinal Sh- or uh, Archbishop Ship Hugh to, um, you know, Cardinal Zen to all these different mm-hmm. people, right? Cardinal Seurat. And so you have this kind of uh, multiculturalism in it that doesn't need to like make multiculturalism um, superior to it or make your own culture superior right. to Christianity, right? Or have that be your only uh, experience of Christianity being um, your right. small local And even church, then, right? that was like um, uh, one of the major factors of that existing um, within Catholicism, right? Where you have like a parish that's mainly Hispanic or mainly black is a geographical thing. Um, we are now in a generation where it's just like right. super, at least sure our generation, if not a generation and a half, right? Um, where uh, you would just go to the parish that's down the block because you would just walk there or you would just like drive. Like it was very normal, like geographically, that's the parish you go to, right? And it was very normal. It's very common for um, yeah. neighborhoods to be fully Hispanic or fully black, right? There's German neighborhoods of cities and Italian and Irish or whatever. So um, our, our grandparents and our great grandparents were petty. They did have issues where it's like, well, I'm not going to the Irish church, but that's a different conversation. Um, like, but it, it wasn't like this is our um, denomination with its own set of values and its own its own belief system and uh, what we choose to focus on in the scriptures and things like that. Um, in Catholicism, this is bro. Are we doing this? Are we going here right now? <laughs> Do it, <laughs> bro. I really I don't even I know really, where you're gonna I go, really but I'm excited to, to go there with you. Get to church militant, but these are the questions that we have to have. Um, these are the conversations we got to have. I <clears throat> let me preface what I'm about to say. In 2013. Um, I started for the first time, like for real in very tangible ways, started engaging in conversations with, hold on, let me check my battery. Okay. We might have to plug in here in a second. Um, with, uh, not Catholic Christians at NDSU, North Dakota state university, go bison. Um, and I remember, uh, one time after the conversations I was having, I went to prayer and I felt the Lord lean in, um, Kindly, but firmly, because he's a father. Um, and he said, Chris, if you are engaging with these people and you're in conversations uh, with these people and you see a banner over their head that has like a denomination on them and you don't look into their eyes and see me and love them like you would love me, you're doing it wrong. And it was just this like spiritual gut punch um, where he really challenged me and how I um, perceive people and how I love people. Cause to a degree I was walking around with what, uh, the church calls Catholic triumphalism, uh, where it's like, I'm mm. right. You're wrong. I'm better than you. I have salvation. You don't, I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. Uh, that would not be, uh, the way that Christ would walk around. He was having conversations and engaged in life with, uh, prostitutes and tax collectors, not compromising what was right and what was wrong morally, but being that um, incarnate love, right? So I'm going to say that before I say what I'm about to say right now. Um, something that I've been slowly unpacking for a few years, and I've touched on the media. I do have posts out there that have this in there. So you can go back. This isn't new. You can go find this on my, on my page. Um, because Catholicism is that, Catholic, universal, it is the only, the only form of Christianity, the form for 1500 years, it was Christianity, that is Christianity, um, in which you do not have to compromise your culture. 
you do not have to compromise your uh, blackness. You don't have to compromise your Thai, your Thai culture, your Swedish, whatever culture, any culture that you come from. This is real. Okay. Um, this is actually actively happening right now in Dallas, Texas. Um, there is a large population of um, Catholic people from Thailand. Or sorry. Yeah. From Thailand in um, Dallas. What they're experiencing real time right now is this big generational shift. So you've got um, the grandmas and the grandpas. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me reverse it. It's not Thailand. It's Filipino. My bad. I, I apologize. The Philippines. Um, and if you know anything about Philippine, Filipino Catholics, they do not play games. Okay. If you've ever met a Filipino grandma, she, <laughs> bro, within the first couple of minutes, she's bringing out a rosary. Serious. You don't even know if it's devotional time. You don't know if it's rosary time, but she's pulling it out of her pocket. Um, they do not play around with their Catholicism. Okay. Um, shout out to my Filipino Catholics. I love you. Um, they're experiencing this generational divide right now where you've got the parents and the grandparents that are firmly rooted in Catholicism. Are they well catechized? Some yes, some no. It's whatever. That's not up for debate. What it is is they're totally bought in and they're not compromising with their Catholic faith. What they're experiencing now is people in my generation and Gen Z um, are getting interested and starting to get plugged into um, these non-denominational churches and stepping away from that, from their Catholicism, and it's it's this is a raw conversation I had with one of those um, one of those people uh, at a really good restaurant downtown uh, Dallas, Crushed Craft, super good if you want some really delicious pad thai. Um, and she was being super super honest with me and and opened up and said, um, as I'm stepping into this community though, this non-denominational community, I find myself actively compromising my Filipino culture. Like I have to actually exchange. There's this trade-off of my Filipino, my Filipino traditions, my Filipino worldview, my Filipino priorities and values for um, involvement in this thing. Now, now people at the church are not racist. Okay, they're not saying like get rid of your Filipinoness so you can be involved. Like no one's saying that. Is there's no malicious intent. It's it's there's not an agenda there. Right. It's simply what happens. Because where did non-Catholic Christianity, right, um, Protestantism, find its roots? In European culture, yes. Yes. So, by nature of what it is, it does not make way for the richness of any given culture to actually be put on display and to glorify God. Uh, At some point, whether it's implicit, explicit, uh, subtle, major, whatever it is, if you step away from the fullness of the Catholic faith into other denominations, at some point, I'm going to get crucified for this. At some point you will have to compromise or trade the like parts of your blackness, parts of your, whatever your culture is because uh, Protestantism from its, from its origin, not because of malicious intent is for it's, 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 it's a fruit of Europe. Okay. Um, so it doesn't actually have avenues mm-hmm. for you to live part of like your cult, the fullness of your culture with the fullness of the faith, um, which is really, really unfortunate, but it's beautiful that they've started those conversations. <laughs> You've started those conversations <laughs> in Dallas, the Filipino community. Cause they're like, I don't like that. I really like the traditions and the values yeah. and the, the things that are part of who I am as a, as a, this is them speaking, right. As a Filipino, 
Um, and if that's the price I have to pay to be part of this community, I'm not paying it. Yeah, I'll, maybe maybe my parish is struggling and the homilies are super dry and um, I'll like whatever, pick your preference, like whatever it is. Um, they're like, that's still worth it that I can actually be fully engaged in my Filipino culture and live in the Catholic church. Right. That's deep. That's deep. Yeah. I remember, I remember your post about that. I was wondering, yeah. Until you brought up like that Protestantism rooted in Europe, I had forgotten. Uh, and um, I have so many good friends that, that I love to death that are Christian that are not Catholic. So it's, it's, it's this tension that you hold, you know what I mean? Yeah. Same. Yeah. I have, a, I have a lot of Protestant friends as well. And I think it's something that's, it's, it's tough to talk about. I think you you hit on something really important there at the beginning too, of not just looking at people as their denomination, but there is just so much. It's such a tough balance, and I think it's one of the areas where you have to really evaluate in yourself which side do I err on, right? Do I err on the side that's being too judgmental and hateful towards people, or do I err on the side that's being too lukewarm and um, even cowardly at times when it comes to For actually sure. sharing the truth, right? Sure. Sharing the reality that. God wants you to be Catholic, right? And like the Catholicism holds the fullness of the faith because it is. I mean, and and probably many of us, you and I, I bet both have done this. Is uh, we've been yeah. both of those people at different times in our lives, right? We've been <laughs> too judgmental on Protestants, and we've been too like, oh, we all basically right. kind of believe the same thing, right? Like we're all, uh, you know, Christians and and united against these things. And um, yeah, it's crazy, but it's, it's a tough balance to to kind of find where you're like. Yeah, and you think about this as, as Jesus was walking around, as he's ministering to people, as he's calling people and challenging them to be better, challenging them to follow him. He both, you know, wants them to leave their current way of life, but he also, more than that, wants them out right. of love to be with him, right? And so that's what I think it comes down to your intentions and feeling like where I kind of evaluate myself. I was just thinking about this last Friday um, with this class that I'm in, and I get to encounter a lot of mm-hmm. uh, Protestants and fallen away Catholics through this kind of conservative uh, course that I'm taking once a month. And I was sitting there and I'm like, the way I gauge myself is, am I, am I okay with not offering everything right. that I know all of the time? Right. Because if I constantly feel the need to always say what will debunk their thoughts or what will prove them wrong so that they know that I'm wrong and they're right, then my heart's usually not in the right place. But if I feel confident Kind of sitting back and being like, all right, Lord, if you want me to say something, like you'll create the space. They'll ask me about right. it. You'll spark the curiosity in them. I'll share a little bit, you know, and you kind of find that balance, right? And you're praying throughout the experience of like, right. Lord, is this the time, you know, and just discerning, like, is this the time you want me to ask these questions that I know I want to ask this Protestant pastor about scripture and the church fathers and all these things, right? Or do you want me to just kind of sit back and, and keep developing this relationship and, and save it for a later date. And then I had ideas of other times and ways to kind of open up conversations on the religion side, not just focusing on politics within this group um, right. that I think are going to be a lot more fruitful than me just going at it in that moment. <laughs> so yeah, man, it's super interesting, but you have to have that discerning spirit and that's where it comes down to, um, am I, am I praying, mm-hmm. right? Like, do I have a relationship with the Lord that I know? Michaela Robinson talked about this uh, at seek. Um, and it really hit me of talking about knowing the personality of Christ and and knowing like what would what, the, the kind of corny cliche right like what would Jesus do in the situation like Lord what would you have me do in this moment and thinking about how the Lord yeah. might handle it and also what He's calling you to requires mm-hmm. that intimacy and that closeness. Yep, one hundred percent. Absolutely. And that's and that's I think it's important right because <laughs> yeah, you, you, awesome, you have you have regular listeners that are like oh man 
like I'm listening to every single episode of Seeking Excellence and or uh, I like listen, whatever. Yeah, that that have been following you in this journey. And it's important not to tune out to this conversation for this podcast specifically, because part of seeking excellence is understanding your, sorry, your role in the greater paradigm of what's going on right now, right? So seeking excellence is not just a personal thing of like, oh, I want to be more fit, or I want to have more discipline in my life, or um, all these different things, which are really, really good, and they should be part of the conversation and part of your discernment. But uh, you need to have this generational mindset uh, where you see the greater scheme of things. That's the Catholic worldview of like, okay, how do I actually play a role in what's going on right now in the church or in society? Um, so this conversation and other conversations that are uncomfortable, which is part of seeking excellence. Seeking excellence looks like willing to step into conversations that are uncomfortable. Seeking excellence looks like um, saying things that might get you hated. Uh, it's that John the Baptist thing, right? Like it was excellent to continue to speak, even though they're probably going to cut your head off. Um uh, or all these things like that. So, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's really important. And so speaking of all this being bold, I don't want to, I don't want to totally skip it, <laughs> yeah. uh, but can you break down for us? I, I know some listeners won't know what church militant is, you know, church militant, church suffering. Can you explain kind of the, yeah. I don't know, three phases, three groups of the church, and mm-hmm. then tell us a little bit about why you wanted to start talking no, about it. It's actually really, uh, it's a perfect segue. So it's not even, and I'm not trying to be cheesy right now. Like, so the reason, right, that whole conversation was about the universal <laughs> church, right? But that was talking about the church here on earth. So if you read or if you, uh, yeah, do some digging into the deposit of faith, what we believe as a church, there are three, um, what do you want to call, parts of the body of Christ, right? So there's the church, uh, we'll start at the top, the church triumphant, right? Those who are in the glory of God, those who are the saints um, that have run the race with perseverance, right? Um, that are in heaven. Then you've got the church um, some people call it penitent or church purgative, right? Uh, the second one gives it away. That's those who are in purgatory that are being mm-hmm. purified for the glory of God. Um, and then you've got the church, uh, the church militant. That is us. Okay. Um, that is us here on this side of eternity here on earth. Why? Why is the church militant? Because uh, the final kind of blow, I guess, of Jesus is him reigning in glory as king. Does that exist right now in its fullness on this side of heaven? No. So who are we? We are the army that is commissioned, the great commissioning, right? To extend the kingship of Christ across the earth, yep. the lordship of Christ. That's why it's a continuous work, right? That's why evangelization is real and necessary. That's why um, just us being conformed to the saints that we were born to be is necessary. Um, and I've just been, so unlike we're bringing it down now. So that was high theological, canonical stuff, bringing it down. Um, personally, Christopher Quinn, he, um, I, me, um, there's three things I inherited from my dad. One, um, a weird liking of like rings. I really like rings. Okay, cool. Um, two, his temper. I have kind of a, I'm over it. Three, um, his obsession with U.S. history. My dad loved U.S. history at any given point. U.S. hit like the history channel was going to be on in the living room, whether someone was there watching it or not. It's just kind of like background music background noise or whatever. Um, That's funny. In the past, honestly, in the past couple of years, um, I've gotten into World War II. Um, just really, I, I, every every movie about it, every show, I've probably watched Band of Brothers like seven times at this point. Um, I freaking love it. I'm obsessed. Um, That's wild. Uh, any, anything. Anything I can get my hands on, I'm sinking my teeth into it. I'm now transitioning at some point probably to like uh, reading 
Um, lots of lots of really really good books uh, by our veterans that are really solid reads that you should go pick up. But um, it's actually gotten to the degree now that I'm actually finding local ways to actually support our veterans. So there's something called Honor Flight that I just recently applied for, mm. where they actually it's an organization that gathers World War II uh, vets, uh, Korean War vets, and Vietnam vets, and flies them to DC. Um, to go visit memorials and it, the expenses are on the organization itself. And so you can actually go to accompany these men and women um, and you just you accompany that you push their wheelchairs, you just help them get around and just listen to their stories. And for sure, I'm going to freaking do that because I look up to these people um, like without a shadow of a doubt. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going <laughs> to awesome. visit Anna Lulis, Lulis. Yeah. And it's going to be great. But um, yeah. Um, Let's go. But, so what is that? What does that mean for this conversation? Um, I was like, something in me wants to fight like super bad. <laughs> I, 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 at the risk of sounding over spiritual, I've been bringing that to prayer. Cause it's not just a human thing. It's like, okay, Chris is watching all this stuff. Cool. Um, I think there's something deeper. Um, and I don't think it's just me. So as I'm watching this, there's something this is, this, <laughs> I love this so much. There's something virile, something masculine, something uh, undomesticated that rises up in me that I can't help but to bring into my prayer time with God every day. Um, it's like, why am I liking this? And as I've been bringing it to prayer, um, it feels like um, it's my soul inviting me to actually fight for something again. It's my spirit being like, okay, there's actually different ways, Chris, where your flesh has more dominion in your life than I do, than God does, than grace does. Um, and we, we need to address that immediately. Whether, whether subtle or significant, um, it's, it's something that wants to fight in me that's standing up. And I'm restless. If you're my friends, if, if you're my friends here in Cincinnati, you know that this has been a topic of conversation over the past couple of months. Um, there's a restlessness in me, similar to that of St. Francis, not in any way of holiness. I'm literally a pile of burning trash compared to St. Francis. But um, there's something in him that <laughs> there's something in him that wanted to fight. <laughs> he literally had knight's armor and was riding off to war until God basically stiff-armed him and said, go back to Assisi. This is not what you're supposed to do. Um so I think there's something there. And so I've been, it's me in my content. I've been posting recently, inviting our generation into a conversation of like, I think we're bored. I think we're bored. And I honestly think that there's something that wants to fight in us. And it's important to have these conversations because um, I think it's a whole generation thing where um, if you're not rooted in the gospel, if you're not familiar with what God calls us to, to as the church militant, in the church, you're going to put that fighting energy somewhere else. And I honestly think that comes back to that conversation earlier. Like there's something, I think God hang with me here. I know this is a lot. I think God, um, ha is stirring a fight in our generation in Gen Z in the earth right now. And the unfortunate reality is if you're not rooted in God in the church, you're going to use that for some social justice thing. You're going to use it for some agenda, for some paradigm that's not the church. Um, and so I want to have these conversations because mm -hmm. um, if you don't fight for Christ, you're going to fight for something and it's going to become a whole lifestyle. Um, and I'm just restless, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry, <Yeah>. Nathan. <laughs> I love it. I think, I think, 
I really love, no, you're great. I think the, uh, the statement there that we're bored, I think is something that I really try to hit on, um, somewhat frequently. And it kind of rings with, with similar sentiments of, of something I'm thinking about as I, I go into, uh, oh, my shoot, shoes and I'm starting go. soon on dating and just thinking about dating and the issues of dating. And, um, really one of my, one of my core things regarding that is that I think that the feminization of the church has really implemented or impacted yeah. negatively impacted the dating culture right and i think that you see that in the world like i think men oftentimes are um i think about this even in the military right like i think about the restless soldiers when we were in times of yeah. garrison meaning we're not deployed right to war or we're not actively training that's when you get bro did you see my recent post easily right like these super rambunctious aggressive I don't think I did. I'm I'm doing Exodus 90, so I'm not seeing much on social media. I really just use Dog, it to message that was my last post. Podcast. When did David so get in trouble? I probably missed it. It's That's so funny. Like, he was supposed to be on yep. the front line with his men, exactly. but instead he took one of their wives. Like if you're not actively battling and warring yep. in the way that God sovereignly has asked you to, you're going to get in trouble. Exactly. We've kind of switched. One of the things that if you think about that, right, you still have to take your rest time, right? Like you can't just be 100% battling it out there fighting the world all the time. But your rest time has to be very structured and contained and have boundaries around it or else you're going to get in trouble like David. But instead, what we've kind of switched that is we say when you're battling or fighting at all, that's very restrained and restricted and has a ton of boundaries around it. And then it's like your rest time can just be whatever. That's kind of the world's approach, and that's really impacted the church in the way that we think about engaging with people. It's like, well, you have to be politically correct. You've got to be careful not to do this. You can't offend anybody. You don't talk about religion or politics. You don't do this or that. So there's like a million rules for that, right? It's like the freaking tax code. You've got 4,000 pages of, of rules that you have to follow when you're talking about battling or fighting for Christ in the world. But then when it comes to your relaxation, the world and the church especially— if you're talking about non-denominational churches, I think that kind of influence has impacted the Catholic church as well, where it's like this kind of cafeteria Catholicism where it's mm-hmm. like, you can kind of just do whatever you want, right? As long as you show up sometimes. And as long as you've mm-hmm. been baptized, like you're pretty much good to go. And for men, that's not interesting to me, right? If I have, obviously like we have the, uh, you know, different rules right. of engagement and stuff like that. When you're in the army, I remember that from my time, you get tons of the uh, briefs on that when you're going into Afghanistan, but you still have a lot of freedom, right? You still have a lot of things that you can do. If, if it's like, I mean, to think about just that mindset when you bring it to the church, most men are interested in being super restricted in the good that they can do and then being really, um, f- when you're just free in the bad that you can do, then it's right. like, why right. why even pursue the good? Why even fight for that? Um, and it's just it, when it's been so feminized and kind of dulled down. It's not interesting. And I think that we see that, you know, women are, are nesters. They create beautiful spaces. They create beautiful homes, right? Like they're kind of welcoming, they're inviting, they're receptive. And that's kind of become the message, like the, the, the vibe of the church. Right. We don't really go out. We don't, we're not hunter gatherers, killers, you know, protective. We're just kind of like receptive. We want to try to be as receptive. Think about that. The main thing, if you think of most Catholic parishes, if you sit well, on these shitty staff meetings that a lot of them have is it's like, oh, we have to be welcoming. It's just, how can we be more welcoming to people? Not how can we go out come. there and get no more one's, people no to one, come? Bro, no right? one's it's waddling like, into a Catholic church. Yeah. No exactly. one is like, let me just stumble into a Catholic church. Yeah. But that's what we focus on. Bro, this is 
Taco would this is be so much bigger than pancake that's breakfast. That's like the okay? whole thing. This and is it's so like, much well, bigger. People don't come. What's like we point? can't. Like absolutely not. And I, I'm yeah. like, bro, I'm here for it. I love pancake breakfast. I want scrambled eggs. I want the salsa on the scrambled egg. Let's go. But like, this is so much bigger. I, I, I right. Yeah, bro. Church. We have to return to this church. It, I, I'm honestly on a mission to redeem that word because it's been used wrongfully in the past. Um, but like, or or misconstrued or used with agenda or things like that. I just it turns people off a lot. But it, it's it's an it's a fundamental identity of who we are. And if we fall away from that, we're really going to lose who we are and how we understand ourselves as the church in the world in the 21st century. We do not have the option in the 21st century to not be the church militant. That's just a reality. Um, and it's there's something you speak to anyone across the border, yeah. regardless of what camp of Catholicism they find themselves in. I think I hope Jesus, please, God, I hope that we would all agree that um, some of the healthiest times of our church history is when we actually fought for who we were and, and for Christ and what we actually believed in. That's what I mean. Anyone can see that these parts of the Catholic church are in the world mm-hmm. where they're just explicitly persecuted. Like that's a reality. But here in Western world, like yeah. you can, you can have your Catholicism be a part of the puzzle piece of your American dream and not have it not cost you anything. Um, to a degree, are, are there inconveniences and is the culture on our side? Absolutely. Uh, like, are there inconveniences? Yes. Is the culture on our side? No, for sure. No, this is not Christendom, but in no way, shape or form is it illegal to be Catholic. Like it's just true. Yeah. Um, there are p- parts of the body of Christ that have it 25 times worse than we do. So like, let's not even go there. Um, no one is, at, you know what I mean? At minimum, there's no one's yeah, going to shoot you hopefully, <laughs> um, for, for like yeah. being a Catholic out on the street. Um, you know, it's going to be your friend and no one's going to like hang around you, but whatever. Um, yeah, we just, I, that, I feel like that is going to increase only as we step deeper in the 21st century. And I want us to rediscover what that is. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. And I, I hope that, and I'm sure that you will in your series on this. I think one thing that is, is super important when we talk about the church military and we talk about fighting because you hear that this kind of language is often used at like men's conferences and things like that. And I started to kind of drown them out when I was young, dude, because I was just like, oh, my gosh, bro. Like the the constant talk about this from dudes that I'm like, you wouldn't. You wouldn't fight, fight somebody you know, in the parking lot of Best Buy. Anybody, like, like if anything actually happened in like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, dude, we got to stop talking about this if we're not going to be practical, like this kind of rah, rah fight. And then it's like, and I also, one of the, so I hope that we get practical with it. And I have some ideas on that. And I, I mean, this has inspired me. I want to do a whole episode on it. I'll probably do a solo one on it and maybe talk with you again about it in the future. But um, it, it, we have to get practical and we have to be uh, calling people higher, right? Like I think so often, and this is one of my biggest frustrations and one of my biggest motivators for doing Seeking Excellence is what I try to do is not just tell people constantly, we're like pleading for people to just do the minimums, just do the basics. And that's kind of what it's like when you hear these men's conferences, they, I feel like for too long, this is my other issue with dating is I think that in the Catholic world, um, like men get dogged constantly, right? In Catholic world and outside of it. But I think one of the problems that I've seen, and I even saw this at Seek, and complain about it, you know, from coming to, from different seek talks. Is it's always this kind of this messaging that men are dumb, we're lazy, college dudes, you're stinky, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how to date, you don't know how to do anything right. 
right? And it's like this constant, like, just do this basic, simple stuff. And um, that's fighting. That's fighting for your family. That's, and it's like, dude, like, tell me mm -hmm. how to be great. Like, nobody will ever describe it. It's like, I want to be awesome. I don't want to be some average ass dude that's just barely hitting the right. minimum. Don't talk to me like going to it's, Sunday it's, mass once a week is hard. Because I talked about this with exactly Father. one hundred percent. It's I I I am I'm I'm also frustrated that like I'm getting this rediscovery of church the church militant or like getting this call from God this stirring to like fight and it's like good okay now just your holy hour is fine like every day and it's like bro like like no there's something there's something else I don't know what it is though continue you can I, I just don't know what it is. Yeah, so I was talking with Father Sean about this recently. We just recently did like a, a spiritual excellence. Um, uh, it's kind of one of my seven pillars, obviously, and, and he's kind of my guest for that week. And we were just talking about this need to to be to be challenged, right? This need to actually figure out for us what is it right. that's going to actually call us to a higher level? Because it's just it gets so frustrating being talked to like being great is. Um, these kind of basic things, these kind of minimal things. And it's like, yes, you lose more people when you actually challenge them to do hard things and to do something that's actually excellent. Yeah. But it is what we need. And we need people that are on fire. We need people who want to do that. I remember when I went to ranger school, it's like, yes, I might fail at doing this, but at least I'll know what I'm made of. At least I'll know where my limits lie, right? Like where that exists. And I think that more men want to be a part of that. More men and women, I think, want to be called to these kind of higher levels to say, not just, yes, you're, you're, you have worth, you have value, you're good, God loves you. I'm like, yes, I got that. Like, I understand. Right. Now, how can I make the most of my life glorifying God? How can I give back now? What does my potential look like, right? I think we have to shift eventually people from what your value is to what your potential is, right? Like saying, this is where you are now and you're good enough where you are. Like, I get that, right. but I still want to be great, right? I think I've just been reflecting on this so much. It's like, I want to be really holy. And it's like, and I, I am on fire and I feel like I have a new drive and passion when I allow myself to say that. And I've gone really like a couple of years without saying it. And I'm just like, I don't, and we just kind of have this kind of church vibe and, and culture right now that, doesn't make it seem like that's okay to say, yeah. to say like, I want to be great. I want to be holy. I want to be excellent. I want to be an mm -hmm. amazing man, father, husband. And, and let me practically think about what that looks like. What does excellence look like in my current state mm -hmm. of life, in my fitness, in my finances, in my relationship? you know, in my professional life? What are the goals and things that I have to do? What are the targets and what are the things I have to give up, right? One of the things when you join the military is you have to sacrifice a lot of things. You give up a lot of stuff, right, to um, to, to be a part of that organization. And it's like, that's one thing we have to think about in ourselves is what do I actually have to let go? Mm -hmm. What are the battles that I'm being called to fight? And what are my strengths and talents that I bring to the table that God wants to hone and the weaknesses that he wants to shore up to make me the yep. most useful soul? 100%. In the Did you mountain. ever get to connect with Michael Watkin uh, about the great man theory? We just talked about this last week. No, no okay, so. sweet, great. We, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay, no, the sweet. lawyer, so, right? Uh, we're talking on the phone the yeah, other day. Yeah. And he's like, have you ever heard of the great man theory? I was like, no. Um, so it's this theory, right? The great man theory versus the circumstantial theory. Um, I believe it's called, I could be corrected on that though. Um, and it's this, it's not wildly scientific and all these things, but it's this general mindset that, uh, if you look back in the past and use an example, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, right? Uh, anyone, or actually let's be, let's choose someone different. Uh, Michelangelo, right? Anyone could have created these masterpieces. Okay. 
literally anyone. It was just, it happened to be Michelangelo because he got discovered at the right time and he got invited to the right opportunities and all these different things. Um, that, that greatness is something that it's, it's very circumstantial. Like hopefully it happens to you. Okay. But then there's like, that's, that's one um, way you can think about life or one worldview. The other worldview, the great man theory is it's literally you. Like it's, it's you that the difference between another artist at the time of Michelangelo and Michelangelo is that Michelangelo worked really freaking hard. It's not the grind culture. Let's address that right now. It's not grind culture where it's like, let me uh, irresponsibly uh, model yeah. my life and be burnt out by, uh, by the age of 34. Like that's not it. Um, it's, it's that you are responsible for your self-discipline and for uh, the greatness that you make of your life. And I think any logical person, please God, let logic be a normal thing, um, would look at these two mindsets, two worldviews, and be like, oh, the great man theory makes sense. Like, to strip uh, Michelangelo of credit, do credit uh, for what he's contributed to the world of art and for history would be ludicrous. That would be insane to be, oh, it would just happenstance. That's stupid. And it's easy to look at that situation and call it what it is. But the moment we come back to reality to 2023 and look at your average person on the street, we actively think that way. Like we truly do of just like greatness, hopefully will like hit me like a freaking bus. And it's like, absolutely not a thousand percent. Oh, I've talked about this endlessly, dude. The, the whole, the, I used to say, I forget what my quote was. And where I wrote this or said this in a podcast and somebody brought up to me like six months later and was like, dude, you know what line I love from you that had me laughing? It was like, um, the, you hear people all the time say, "If oh, if I was 6'8", I'd be LeBron James too. I'd be in the NBA too. And it's like, no, your fat ass wouldn't. You would be just taller, lazy, and fat just like you are now. Like, it just because you right. have the height, you know? But that's the assumption, right? It's like, if I was born into the same circumstances. But we don't, but what's interesting though is we don't put that into uh, the homeless drug addict we drive by on the street right to say like if i was born in their circumstances i'd probably be them too right we think when we see somebody that we consider worse than us we're like oh i'm glad that i made decisions i made to get me to where i am today but we see somebody who's much more successful than us we're like oh if only i had been as lucky as them and it's like you can't have both of those things but we have this cognitive dissonance to you know be our defense attorney when it comes to why we're not more successful or greater or holier or whatever and and we have this kind of you know advocacy for ourselves as to why we're not uh, a crackhead on the street um which is uh right yeah not helpful right. to actually advancing and progressing as humans uh, how okay yeah. can i ask you a question would you yeah regarding please. the crackhead <laughs> comment no i'm just kidding um would you we should do a part two, I think, because it's it's been an hour, and yeah. we talked mostly about being black and Catholic, which is valuable. I'm so here for that. Let's go. Um, but there's, a, I don't know, yeah, I think there's more to be said about the church militant and what that looks like, because uh, I have no intention Absolutely. regarding my content, um, regarding whatever <laughs> platform I have in people's lives on social media to simply hype people up. Be like, yeah, we're church militant. Come on, guys. Um, like you were saying about like the men's conferences when you were younger. Um, it looks like something. And I think yeah. part of like if if you are going to have a platform, Nathan, and I'm going to have a platform. And for whatever reason, people find value in our content and they continue to grow. 
Um, we actually have a responsibility to be honest with the people that are listening or consuming our content to say like, we're actually figuring that out. Like no one has ever, no one has ever been uh, the church militant. No one has ever been uh, a Catholic in 2023 before in America. This is new for all of us. And the 21st century is a new frontier. And we actually, we a, have the responsibility to be honest and say, we're actually not making things up. Um, we're, we don't know what it is, but we're going to pray and seek out truth and seek out the scriptures to figure out what it is to be church, the church militant in the 21st century. But then also we have the responsibility for our children's children because the 21st century is going to be hella wild. And we actually need to set our kids up for success to be the Catholic church in the 21st century. Um, so that's just a deep conversation that I don't even know if we have time for right now. So. Yeah, absolutely. It is indeed. I want to think about it a lot more too. So I might do my, uh, do some writing and reflecting on that and praying about it this week. So that's some good stuff, man. Well, I appreciate your time, brother. It's been great getting to talk to you. I hope that, um, those who listen to this have, have really either learned a lot or enjoyed just our, our bantering yeah. back and forth at a bit of a man, but thank you for, for joining. I appreciate it. And you want to share your Instagram handle? Yeah, what man, it you is? can throw it in there. In it's the Christopher Quinn. As well. Uh, it's Christopher with two F's instead of a PH, you know, just mixing it up on the folks, keeping it spicy. Um, underscore Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N. It's my middle name. That's not my last name. Um, and yeah, it, you'll follow if I hope the content blesses you regardless. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much, Nathan, for having me on here. This is good. We should do this again. Lots of fun. Hopefully uh, next time I'll have less technical errors getting on. <laughs> absolutely yeah we'll figure it out for sure in advance well thank you everyone for listening if this was helpful for you um we're, we're super happy about that and we hope that you continue to get a lot of quality uh content here from seeking excellence and that is helpful in your formation and your pursuit of holiness and, and personal greatness in your life so thank you and god bless be your best <laughs>